Welcome to Pathways to Success, a podcast produced by the Social Development Commission. It's conversation to influence Milwaukee County stakeholders and improve the quality of life for people experiencing poverty. In the state of Wisconsin, April is Hmong Heritage Month. In a special proclamation, Wisconsin Governor Tony Evers recognizes this culturally diverse group of people. The Hmong originally come from Southern China and other parts of Southeast Asia. They are celebrated for bravely helping the United States during the Vietnam War. Today, we'll talk history and learn a little bit more about the needs of often hard to reach Hmong Americans living in our community. We'll also talk about increased racism and violence targeting Asian Americans everywhere. You're listening to SDC's Pathways to Success podcast. I'm your host, Kim Brooks. Welcome. Joining us today is SDC CEO, George Henton, and Dr. Chia Vang, who is a professor at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee and an SDC commissioner. Whether you are a community action agency like SDC or any other organization, you have to understand the people you serve. To Commissioner Vang, thank you for joining us. Can we start our discussion uh, by telling us who are the Hmong people living in the Milwaukee area? Thank you so much for having me this morning. It's my pleasure to be a commissioner with the SDC and the work that it does has been you know, a, a huge um, asset in the community. And I want to start by saying that like most people in the United States, Hmong are immigrants who cross mountains and oceans to get here. And so the question about who are the Hmong people, just very quickly, Hmong are one of the ethnic minority groups that reside in southern China. That's where we trace our origin. We are part of the male nationality. Who, so who are the Hmong? They are one of the ethnic minority groups in southern China. In the late 1800s, many of them began to migrate to Southeast Asia. So for people of uh, who are Hmong Americans who reside here in the state of Wisconsin, in Milwaukee, we trace our origin to Laos. So our ancestors migrated southward to Southeast Asia in the mid to late 1800s, but it was really our presence in Laos that made us become entangled in these larger political transformations. So during French colonialism, as you all know, the French colonized Laos, what is now Laos, Cambodia, and Vietnam. Among people lived in Laos who then became entangled in World War II, leading to what we call the Vietnam War in the United States. But everybody in Asia call it the American War. So what we know as the Vietnam War is how the Hmong people became entangled. So long story short, those of us who are living in the United States, who came to the U.S. as refugees after the Vietnam War ended, we are from Laos, mostly in the northern part of the country, where we reside in, you know, in the mountainous regions. So that's what happened to us. An estimated 40,000 Hmong men and boys, you know, fought for the Americans. As you know, Laos was a neutral country. So the United States did not send combat troops, but it sent, you know, CIA operatives. It implemented one of the largest covert operations in U.S. history. 
And so many Hmong people, as well as other groups, were, you know, recruited to be America's foot soldiers. That's what I call it. In Laos, fighting against communist uh, forces during the Vietnam War. And so because it was in Laos, it's traditionally called a secret war, right? Because we know about the larger Vietnam War, but what happened in Laos was very much directly tied to supporting the larger Vietnam War. So you can't, you know, separate the two. And so long story short, after the war ended, Americans disengaged in 1973 officially, but the war didn't end for the people of Southeast Asia until 1975. And April, May was the, you know, 1975 was one of the most contentious time for Vietnamese, Lao, and Cambodian because Americans had withdrawn. And so many with the new regimes taking over, those who had aligned or who worked for the Americans became targets of repression for the new regime, who was also struggling to rebuild their country. So when you think about it historically, war is, is difficult to, to think about because even if you win, the country is destroyed with bombings over eight years. So for people like my family, you know, I was born in northern Laos, like thousands of other Hmong people. And so we did, we were not some of the privileged people who were airlifted in May of 1975. In fact, we had to walk through the jungles. This is a very typical, you know, process for a lot of Hmong refugees. You have to walk through the northern mountainous jungles and then cross over the Mekong River, the river that separates Laos from Thailand. And so then we we over to Thailand. My family spent only six months in the refugee camp, in Bang Vinai refugee camp for 19, October 1979 to 19, April 1980 was when we came to the United States. So thousands of other Hmong people spent longer in the refugee camp from 1975 to about 1992 was when the camps began to be closed. So as you can see, it wasn't something that a temporary situation it ended. Many people were straddled in between for a very long time. So it's kind of like my story, but it is really the story of Hmong refugees in the United States. So my family came to Minnesota where I grew up, but many others' relatives actually settled here in Milwaukee in the late 1970s. Some of the families are still here. They really helped to bring other Hmong refugees who resettle all over the country. Because if you know much about refugee resettlement, people cannot come into this country until they have an American sponsor, right? So churches, the International Institute, you know, churches, families, individuals open their homes and churches to, to support refugees as we still do today. So that's how many Hmong refugees ended up here in the Milwaukee area. And it's not all individuals who came here directly, but those who came here directly found jobs, they got to go to school. And so they started to recruit family and friends who were resettled in Providence or Fort Smith, Arkansas, in other places. And we do exactly what other immigrants before us have done. We practice chain migration. So that's how the Milwaukee area, by 2000, we became the fourth largest concentration of Hmong people in the United States. Wisconsin is the third largest state population but in terms of concentration, the Milwaukee area is. So that's who we are. And we can talk more about, you know, how people have adjusted, what are some of the challenges, but that's a very short history of Hmong migration to the United States. So without the war, there would be no Hmong people living in the United States. I think that's very helpful to know because when you are Asian, your backstory is varied and diverse. And so Hmong Americans have a very different track from, say, Chinese Americans. So if we can talk a little bit 
about the needs of the Hmong community in particular. How big would you say the Hmong community is in Milwaukee County? And help us better understand the needs of the community and some of the characteristics that make serving the Hmong community unique and and maybe sometimes also challenging. Sure. So I just want to say that, you know, what's interesting about the state of Wisconsin, Hmong people live all over the state, but the Milwaukee area, Milwaukee County, the metropolitan area has, you know, the biggest population as well. In the official data, right, we know for a lot of communities of color, the census, the margin of error is pretty high for all mostly communities of color, but in particular, newer communities like the Hmong, even though we've been here almost 50 years, it still feels new when you look at the larger history of the country. Not globally, we're a newer country, but in terms of other, you know, histories in this country, I want to say that official data counts as a little for the 2010, right, 2020 census still being kind of analyzed. There's, if you count it, it's only a little bit over 10,000 in the city of Milwaukee, right? But in the metropolitan area, community members estimate close to 220,000 people. And you would know that because we've been here for almost five decades, the number of foreign-born Hmong Americans are becoming fewer and fewer, right? The American-born Hmong population is overtaking the foreign-born. Of course, because many of our elders who brought us here are no longer with us or they're aging rapidly. So your question about... What are some of the needs? What's interesting is that I've studied the history of different groups that come to Milwaukee, right? The Poles, the Germans, and, you know, other immigrants and, you know, the African-American community. And sometimes what's interesting is that the Hmong are really different, but at the same time, there's a lot of similarity in terms of mobility, in terms of movement, right? Many of them, including my uncles, who are from the Xiong family, right, X-I-O-N-G, they resettle in the South Side. And then that's where many Hmong people settled in. But then in the 90s, right, in the 90s, mid to late 90s, people started moving to the, the north side. And then many Hmong moved on to the northwest side. So it's interesting because when people were much more concentrated in a, a neighborhood, then it's a little bit easier to reach out to them. But now they're kind of dispersed around the city and then also to the uh, suburban areas. I believe that Brown Deer has the highest number of Hmong in terms of, you know, uh, suburban communities. So I think the question about what are some of the needs, it's changing, right? It's changing dramatically. And what you said earlier is one of the things that I want to raise too, is that because Hmong, you know, physically we are Asian, right? But the journey, the path by which we travel to this country, as you know, the Asian community is so diverse. If you just look at official data, Asian Americans as a group are doing really well, right? Economically and also in terms of education, education attainment is even higher than whites, right? For Asian Americans as a group. But when you unpack it, right, when you disaggregate the data and you look at specific Asian groups, the Hmong and, you know, Burmese and some of the newer immigrant groups, refugee groups are really struggling, right? Uh, We have some of the highest poverty level. It's changed dramatically, right? When I look at what used to be 60% of Hmong people living in poverty in the 90s to maybe like a little over 20 something percent now, that's still a lot, right? But when you look at where we started and where we are now, it's changed a great deal. So I think that 
In terms of the needs, it is really changing. It used to be that language was a huge barrier, and it still is for some families, right? It still is for some families. But I think some of the other larger issues that affect other, you know, American communities living in more challenging neighborhoods, many people feel very isolated, right? Because we are Asian, we look Asian, we walk down the street, no one can tell if we're Chinese or Japanese, you know, East Asians, you know, in terms of physically, right? But Poverty is a big issue. Isolation, not that people don't want to integrate, right? I am very happy and proud to be bicultural. I never want to assimilate. I bring who I am to the table. I don't want to be anybody else. I want to be me with all of the things and my values, my beliefs. And then that's who I want to bring to the table to enrich whatever space I'm a part of. So, but for many Hmong Americans, I think people see us as kind of stereotypically always foreign, right? So even we have a lot of American-born kids who are referred to, you know, ESL classes. So to me, it's really strange to me, right? Because if in the home, they begin to speak Hmong first, and then they go to school, then they're kind of labeled a certain way. So even kids who are born in this country, they speak English, but if their parents don't speak English, or maybe less fluent in English, then they're referred to services that sometimes they don't need, right? So the, sure. the labeling is an issue. The fact that Hmong people are also Asians, we're not the model of minority, right? So of course, individuals in my community have done really well for themselves. But as I said, many are struggling. But the fact that we are Asians, there is this perception that we're doing well, right? And so I think that's kind of a double-edged sword, right? Where it's a positive thing for people to be succeeding, but then it covers some of the underlying challenges that we face. So racism is actually a very, very challenging issue for our community. For Hmong, because Hmong are the biggest Asian group in Wisconsin, in the coastal regions, you know, older Asian groups, you know, Chinese, Japanese, Asian Indians, Koreans, and, and Vietnamese also are bigger in other places. But in the state of Wisconsin and in the Milwaukee area, Hmong are the biggest Asian group. And so what that means is that wherever we go around the state, many Hmong people, hunters, anglers and people just enjoying recreational like other Americans are doing are very fearful because of our identity. So those are some of the, I think, key issues in the Milwaukee area. I know that isolation is a big issue for the elders, right? If they don't speak English, they can't enjoy things. And I know that many other efforts have been implemented to help them, but it is still very difficult. And I think poverty is still a very big issue for my community, even though people are doing better, businesses, the pandemic that we're, you know, it's affecting all of us. All communities are suffering, but many in my community have, you know, just like, you know, other communities of color really faced this challenge where the fact that, you know, people don't have the best health care, right, and it's impacting them. I personally have lost family members, not in, in Milwaukee, because I am from the Twin Cities, so my family lives there, but I've lost at least four close relatives to COVID. I mean, they wow. had underlying health conditions, but my dad's younger brother, my uncle, you know, passed away from COVID. So it's those kinds of things that I think we're not immune to other groups that are things that everybody's struggling with, but there just seems to be just a disproportionately higher number of, you know, people of color in particular, but elders in my community that have been struggling with the pandemic. So, so I'll stop there. There's more right. issues, but I'll stop there. Sure, sure. And and I think part of the problem, and, and chime in here, um, Mr. Hinton, 
is that unless you have a relationship with the community, the issues that you're describing, Commissioner Vang, Dr. Vang, can go unnoticed, not because there's not a desire. It's just you don't know what you don't know. That's a good point. You know, first of all, I want to thank you, Dr. Vang, for being on this podcast today with us and with me. I've learned a lot already. I just want you to know as a Vietnam veteran, I have a great appreciation for the Hmong community and the efforts that were there to support the United States. I think a lot of times too many people don't understand or just understand what the Hmong community meant to us back in those days. And so I really appreciate the fact that you brought that out. I also appreciate the fact that we have a tendency to lump everybody into one category and not appreciate the rich diversity that we have within ourselves. In the African-American community, we've been in some regards, robbed of that diversity of ethnicity that might have presented itself in Africa, but we should never lose it. So I appreciate that you're here, and I appreciate that you're educating us about the diversity and the richness of the people who are Americans in this country, who contributed to this country, not only since the Hmong people came, but even prior to. America was built by immigrants of the world, and sometimes we get caught up believing it's only the immigrants from Europe that built the United States. Off the back of many immigrants from different parts of the world, this country became what it is today. And so our appreciation, my appreciation for your comments, my appreciation for your education, my appreciation for the fact that you are helping me to better understand what the purpose of SDC is, which is to support people in poverty, where they're at, who they are, and help them find their own way to success. So I appreciate that so much. And I just wanted to make those comments while I had that opportunity, because I think what you had to say is so important for the education of not only myself, but anyone that takes the time to listen to this podcast. And I hope they do, because they will be a better informed people and maybe have more more appreciation for our neighbors. Your comments made me think a little bit about how the, the way life often happens is that life is not fair, right? That, you know, there's a lot of challenges. And so if the people who are struggling, if they are fighting against themselves, right, then they can't fight against the root causes of, you know, economic disparity, poverty, or racism. So I think that when we learn more about our stories and our histories and how there's so many different ways we came to this country, but once we get here, there's a lot of similar challenges that we experience. And the fact that you you brought up about recognition of contributions, Ms. Dawson Brooks, you talked about, you know, maybe we'll talk a little bit more about the rise in anti-Asian attacks in recent months. For people who are Asian Americans, we are not surprised about the rising attacks, right? Many others are really surprised that this is happening, but If we really understand what you talked about, who built this country, one story I want to quickly share is that, you know, the Chinese railroad workers, people learn about it, right? They say, oh, the Chinese helped build the railroad workers. What people often forget is that the Chinese actually built one of the hardest sections, right? Going through the mountains. But when it was completed, if you have time to look at the photos of the celebration of the completion, the Chinese were there, but they were not included in the photo. Mm. So think about that, how Asian contributions in this country in particular have really been erased. And so we don't know because many Chinese in particular were driven off of various areas. And people often wonder, why do they live in Chinatowns? Well, just so people know, after the railroads, right, and then past 
post-emancipation, a lot of Chinese, Japanese, and other Asians were imported to work on plantations. But then eventually they left and then they were thought of as taking over the Western frontier. And so many people couldn't live anywhere they want. So that's how they congregated into Chinatown. So it's not so much that people didn't want to integrate, but that was how they protected each other. I was just going to say, and if we fast forward to 2021, yes. you know, the first quarter of this year, the country is summer in shock, some are not, but we're all talking about hate targeted toward Asian Americans still today, particularly in light of the Atlanta shooting. Yeah, and I think that is something that, as a nation, we need to do a much better job. We are a nation who uh, many of us came to this country in hopes of a dream that's really encaptured in the Declaration of Independence, which wasn't written for us. And I say that us because I'm an African-American. And But the document was beautifully put together that is very inclusive of everyone who wants to be an American. And I think it's important that we all hold our country accountable for that document of, of citizenship and that we should make sure that we don't allow historical biases and racism interfere with our ability for not only ourselves but our children going forward to be able to be contributing to this country and also to get the rewards associated with the hard work. I really appreciate, again, because you talked about the Chinese immigrants who helped build the railroad. On the eastern side, there was a lot of African-Americans who built the railroad. And Mm -hmm. in the middle, that's where they met, and neither one were given recognition for that. Either either group would not recognize for all the work that they did. But we have to talk more about these things because a lot of times history is written by the conqueror. And if we don't bring the true light of the true past and the contributions of people to make this country great— then those individuals live in the light of ignorance, and it's easy for them to say, I didn't understand, mm-hmm. and I don't own that. But you do because you, you're implicit to not having or sought out the knowledge to really understand, how did we all get here? Why did we all get here? And how do we all contribute to the success of this country? I see the African Americans in segregated groups for the same reason that you speak about people feeling safe. We're having a hard time moving out of Milwaukee because we won't admit it. But I think that a lot of us are afraid to move to different parts of Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. That is true because you're, you're right. You know, I, I often say we cannot change the past, right? We cannot change things that happened 100 years ago, 50 years ago. But what's our responsibility right now? Now that we are becoming more enlightened about, you know, all of these different things, and we're continuously learning. I am, I know that, I don't know everything, but I feel like I know a lot, but there's a lot more I still need to learn. So I think maybe one of the questions I'm always asking myself and challenging others to ask of themselves too is, what are we committed to do as individuals on a daily basis to make sure that we call out you know, racism against anybody? And this is gonna be my tagline for now is, can we hurt? Can we feel pain for people who don't look like us? Okay. Yeah. And the pain cannot just be when it impacts somebody who looks like us. 
because that seems to be the case. And I, you know, I remember a number of years ago, there was a small Hmong baby, right, who was killed in a drive-by shooting and many African-American pastors came out and spoke out. So, so to me, it's like, it can't just be Hmong people coming when something like that happens. Um, and when Black Lives Matter or other, you know, young Black men are killed or women too, we need to be there and we're all in this together. Once I feel like when we see everybody's our common humanity, not just say it, but practice it, then we can really discover that indeed we are so much alike. Your grandmother, the Asian grandmothers and grandfathers who are now being attacked by people, just imagine somebody attacking your own grandparents, you know? Like we should all feel, you know, angry about it, regardless of our skin color, because we're all human beings. And to that end, Dr. Vang, what can people do? Are there, is there a specific takeaway that somebody listening, a call to action, perhaps, that you could suggest so people can get involved and actually do something? Well, besides some of the education that we've been talking about, you know, if people are interested, I, I really do think, like Mr. Hinton, we talk about that education is not the solution to everything because many people know, they're aware, but they don't do anything about it, right? Because there were a number of cases of, you know, elderly Asian people being attacked and nobody, no, it was recorded. People saw and nobody did anything, right? So for me, I never want people to put themselves in, in danger to intervene. But I think that getting some bystander training, right? When is it? How do we intervene to support people? And that it's our responsibility, right? I Again, I never want someone to enter a difficult situation and get hurt themselves because that's happened. But I think... What's important is that we have to kind of be willing to call out things. And, uh, you know, we, we've been talking about all the anti-Blackness and I, I'm working on UWM's campus. We have, you know, some anti-racist training we're doing now. And what's really important to me is that we're all at different stages in our racial literacy journey. So some people are ready to do this and some people are just increasing their awareness. But I think that people have to be committed to learning about, you know, the experiences of the different neighbors that live among us, because so often, you know, people live parallel lives, meaning that we may live in the same neighborhood, but people never really interact. People have all kinds of suspicions about each other. So I think that maybe if we could just begin to break down barriers. There's so much educational materials available. If people really want to learn, there is so much. They can email me. I have a whole bunch of things that to teach people about Asian American history, Hmong history in particular. Um, but I think what's very important is that we have to be willing to treat people as human beings, that they're not strange just because their skin color is different. Until you tell me that somebody doesn't need to eat, drink water, right? And they just breathe air and they can survive then we're all literally the same in so many ways. So I, I hope that people would just be willing to kind of challenge themselves to get out of just being with only people who look like them. And I know that there's race and class and gender, all kinds of intersectional identities that and roles that we play every day. We're not all just one role. But one thing that I would challenge many people to do is, especially for Hmong and Asian Americans, is that so often conversations about race are very black and white. And I want to be very open about that, right? And why is that the case? The racism that we're seeing now against Asian Americans has been there for a long time, right? Mm -hmm. But because we have been a smaller population across the country, so 
too often we are thought of as statistically insignificant. So that means that conversations about race, we're not a part of those conversations. So I challenge all of us to, in these racial conversations and discussions, to make sure that we include Asian Americans as part of those spaces. And then also one thing I would like to encourage all of us to do is to create opportunities for Asian Americans to be a part of the various, again, it's not about tokenism, right? But it's about what are some leadership opportunities? If we're going to have an event, how can we genuinely involve people? And Ms. Dawson, you talked about the personal. I think we need to make personal commitments to get to know people who don't look like us. Because so often it's because we don't know, then we don't think that we can reach out to them. But in fact, if we just do it, you know, there's a lot of Hmong events here. There's the um, stores and Hmong businesses. I mean, just walking to them and go buy food and go talk to people, you'll find that people are pretty welcoming. But too often, because we don't like to challenge ourselves, we like to frequent things that we're comfortable, then we don't go to places that may have mostly Hmong people. So I, I like to just challenge people to put themselves where they are the only different person, right? So for me and for you too, I know that there are a lot of spaces where I'm the only Asian person or the only person of color. I grew up in the Midwest, so I'm very used to that. But that shouldn't be the case, that we should always try to mentor, to open doors and to promote and create opportunities for, uh, especially Hmong Americans in the state of Wisconsin, in the Milwaukee area, to be actively engaged in all kinds of spaces. That's really important to me because if we don't have a seat at the table, that's why I'm so glad to be a commissioner. I'm part of the university, but I also want to be, you know, a person who connects, you know, SCC and the wonderful services to my community too, because, you know, we live in this community and we benefit from the work that SCC does. So I want to play, you know, multiple roles. And if I can just be a connector and help to connect the dots so that we can, you know, begin to learn and support each other, regardless of our racial background, then I think we will have made a, a minor, very, very small progress. You know, I think one of the things I loved about Black Lives Matter, not to take away from, because words do matter, it says Black Lives Matter, but I think what we saw this last round of demonstration was it was a call out that all lives do matter. In this particular case, it was around a person who was black who was killed. But we see this happening with other groups. It's almost like poverty. Poverty yeah. is not a black or brown. It's an issue for white folks, black folks, Asians, brown. It doesn't matter. Now, the solutions may be different because they need to be designed to the culture and to the individual families. But the issue is we have a lot of people in poverty in this country, and that is very diverse. And we need to really talk about how do we ensure that everybody can, can survive, can thrive in the country that's the richest country in the world today. Yeah, poverty, poverty doesn't discriminate. And you're right. I don't want to take away from, you know, the conversation on Asians too, but you're right. You know, Black Lives Matter, you know, maybe Asian came out as well, right? But sometimes people don't say things like that. You know, Hmong people attended and participated. And then with the whole Stop Asian Hate movement, many, you know, Black and Brown and other people uh, and White, you know, everybody came out and, and we're all fighting against hate. We're fighting against poverty. So I think if we do things like that, it's perfect. So tell me this, Dr. Vang, are there organizations that people can go to in the community if they are looking to be more inclusive or learn more 
specifically about the monk community? Are there organizations that people should know about as they look to reach into the monk community? Another challenge is also communication, specifically targeting the monk community. As you may know, you know, if you are trying to reach the African American community, there are newspapers that you can take an ad out and it will establish communication within that community. Same thing with Milwaukee's Latino community. You can go to the Conquistador or something like that. But for the Hmong community, is there local media or organizations that can help outside organizations connect with the Hmong sure. community? Yeah, I'll mention a few of them. Things have changed over the years, right? Some of the organizations that were formed in the 80s to really help the refugees who struggled with language, a couple of them are no longer here. But there are several organizations and groups that I think are perfect for people who are interested in reaching out to the Hmong community. I mean, first is the Hmong American Friendship Association, the Right on the Lead. They're a nonprofit organization. They are very important in the sense that they serve as the person who convenes the Hmong coalition. They they host the Hmong New Year and things like that. So they're very important in Milwaukee. There's the Hmong American Women's Association. They are a nonprofit organization. They work on all kinds of issues, especially in sexual violence and, you know, gender inequality. And they serve not just Hmong, you know, other groups like the newer refugee groups from Burma as well. And then there's the Milwaukee Consortium for Hmong Health, really focused on health and well-being. So it's, the name is Hmong, but in fact, they serve, you know, a lot of Southeast Asians and when they had their conference a couple of years ago and they were doing free health screening, I saw all kinds of people walked in because they made an announcement that, that anybody can come in for this free service, free screening. And then you also know that Hmong American Peace Academy, it's the only Hmong charter school in the state of Wisconsin. They're on 84th and Hampton. They're doing really well. There's only one, you know, Hmong-focused school and it is maybe about 95% Hmong children, K-12 or maybe K-412. So they're doing wonderful. It is focused on among focus, but they are doing really well in terms of academics. And so I see a variety of other students come too, but are primarily Hmong. So those are just a few of the organizations that I think people can reach out to if you would like to get to know the community better. Uh, there's also many churches. Uh, most Hmong you know, were animists before they came to the United States and some did convert to Christianity, but a lot of the Hmong in this community, they've invested a lot in their churches. So there's a Methodist church, there's a Christian Missionary Alliance, there's Lutheran Hmong church in the community. So those are also ways that people can reach out to. And I know quite a few of them, the pastors, they are open to, you know, all communities. So if people just want to come and worship, I think, you know, just feel free to go. They're always welcoming. So, and then also at the university, you know, we have a Hmong studies program that I helped to develop in 2009. I mean, students were, you know, working on this initiative before I came. But when I came, then we started the Hmong diaspora studies program. It's a minor, right? Interdisciplinary minor. How is that? So people can learn more on an academic, you know, space. That would be something that people can reach out to me if they're interested. But so those are community resources, nonprofit, the faith community, and then, you know, at the university as well. That's very helpful. And certainly SDC. Absolutely. And commissioner, that's why I'm so glad that you are a commissioner, because it has it has been a challenge to try to be the agency we need to be, which is a poverty fighting agency for all in our community. And so I am so glad that you're a commissioner, that you can help us connect to a community that we have not done a, 
really great job of connecting with. And hopefully this podcast will help others understand. And if you want to help SDC be a better organization, please don't hesitate to call us. Get in touch with us. You've been listening to SDC's Pathways to Success podcast. Dr. Fang and Mr. Hinton, we certainly appreciate your input and perspective in this discussion. Again, April is Hmong Heritage Month, and we hope that you, the listener, have enjoyed today's conversation. Subscribe to the Pathways to Success podcast now and never miss an episode. And don't forget to leave a review. To learn more about what you've heard on the show today, visit our website at cr-sdc.org. That's cr-sdc.org.